Welcome to the Lowenstein Sandler podcast series. I'm Kevin Iredell, Chief Marketing Officer at Lowenstein Sandler. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast series at lowenstein.com slash podcast, or find us on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Now let's take a listen. Welcome to Don't Take No for an Answer. I'm your host, Linda Bennett, and I'm pleased to be joined today by my co-host and partner extraordinaire, Eric Jesse. Welcome back, Eric. All right. Hi, Linda. Always good to be here. So we're going to be picking up our conversation. Remember last time we were talking about the difference between the duty to defend, the duty to reimburse, the duty to advance, and we kind of went through some of the nuts and bolts of how courts interpret that and what the policy language says. So today, I really want us to get practical. Let's do a day in the life of Linda and Eric and the issues that arise when we have these sticky defense issues that come up. So I'll reset the table. I mentioned this during episode one of this conversation. The complaint comes in, it's got 10 counts. One or two of them are potentially covered under the policy and we've submitted it to the insurance company. And let's take it in each scenario. So if I've got a duty to defend policy, what as a practical matter is going to happen? Right. So in that situation, right, you have a duty to defend policy, the insurance company, again, depending on state law, but they should be acknowledging the defense for the entire lawsuit because one covered cause of action or potentially covered cause of action is sufficient to trigger the duty to defend. And then the insurance company is going to appoint defense counsel to represent the insured. And that's what typically happened in a duty to defend setting. Let's flip the script. Now, same complaint, two potentially covered claims, and I've got a duty to reimburse or a duty to advance policy. What happens next? Yeah. So here, you know, the carrier should again acknowledge a uh, defense obligation, but this is where things can get a little bit more difficult. The insurance company might try to allocate defense costs. You as the policyholder may want to appoint your own defense counsel and have the insurance company pay 100% of that attorney's hourly rates. The insurance companies may be pushing back on that. So it gets a little bit more sticky in in that situation. Yeah. And it's interesting too, we talked last time about allocation provisions that preset how much the insurance company is going to pay. And in some policies that we've reviewed, as you know, Eric, Sometimes the policyholder will be given the choice. It will say the insurance company will defend if you, quote unquote, tender that claim to the insurance company. And one of the carrots that may be in that policy is the carrier says, and if you tender it to us, then we will pay 100% for that mixed claim where there's some covered claims and some not covered claims. Or policyholder, you will have the option to not tender the claim, defend it yourself, but then we're going to be assessing what is the potentially covered claim proportionally in relation to all of the other uncovered claims or uncovered parties. And that's when we really start to enter the wonderful world of allocation and negotiation. So Eric, let's walk through that. So now I've got a coverage position letter from a carrier where I've got a duty to reimburse or duty to advance language in the policy. I've got two potentially covered claims out of 10. 
And the carrier has told me, okay, we'll be paying 20% of your bills and and eroding your $500,000 retention at a 20% rate. Am I stuck or is there something else I can do? Yeah. So I think that typically there is more you can do. The language they're often relying on in the policy to make that type of argument is that you know the parties will use their best efforts to allocate based on the financial interest associated or financial exposure associated with each of the causes of action. So when you have that situation, one thing you can do, and again, it depends on state law, but if you're in a state that applies the larger settlement rule, right, which can also apply to defense costs in many states, one thing you can try to do is go back to the carrier and say, hold on one second, just because the efforts that our attorneys are undertaking benefit both those two covered causes of action, as well as the other eight causes of action. So for example, right, when defense counsel is appearing at a deposition, right, they are defending the entire lawsuit. The insurance company should be paying for the total cost of the deposition. So this is a rule that allows policyholders to say if an attorney's effort benefits an uncovered and covered aspect of the claim, the insurance company has to pay 100%. Yeah, and that's super important. And actually, I want to go back because you talked about the policy language that says in that mixed claim scenario, well, we'll use our best efforts. And as we know on Don't Take No for an Answer, we talk about it all the time. The words of the policy language matter. So in some of these policies, it will say, and by the way, tie goes to the insurance company. In other words, we'll use best efforts. And if we have different definitions for what best efforts is or what the right allocation is, we, the insurance company, have the sole final vote on how much we're going to pay. And then some of those policies even go a step further and say, and when we disagree, we'll see an arbitration, a panel of three arbitrators where we're sharing the cost for that, which, of course, all of that is designed to force the policyholder into taking whatever the insurance company deems to give them on the allocation. And so, Eric, what do we do when we see that policy language as a quick best practice for our listeners? Yeah, that needs to go, obviously. And again, (laughs) this is the importance of you don't ask, you don't receive. This is one where you go work through your broker and you ask the insurer to remove that language. They often will. And you hit on why it's so important, right? Because that language is designed to make sure policyholders don't exercise their rights because the defense obligation is so favorable that you can potentially go into court, you know, the day after the lawsuit is filed or the day after the insurer tries to not honor their obligations to get the carrier to step up. So that access to court early in in a coverage dispute is very valuable for a policyholder. Right. And it shouldn't cost you a binding arbitration to get the answer and to get the coverage that you're entitled to on defense. You know, I always take every opportunity to say, read your policy in advance and have that negotiation in advance, because it's a very unhappy surprise for many of our clients after they've been presented with a claim. And then we get the question, why in the world did I buy this policy? All I bought was the right to sue my carrier and spend a lot of money to get the coverage I thought I was going to have in the first instance. Let's come back to my example. So now let's stick with a duty to reimburse, duty to advance policy. We've had the fight over what the appropriate allocation is going to be. And then the carrier says, okay, so we'll agree to pay 
60%. We, we, we accept your argument on overlapping costs. And so we will very graciously agree to pay 60%. By the way, the panel rates that we use for our lawyers are $200 for a partner, $75 for an associate, and $15 for a paralegal. And I'm only slightly exaggerating there. What happens with that? Is the carrier allowed to further start to nip and cut and chop at the value of this defense coverage? Yeah, in that situation, right, the carriers seem to treat every case, whether it's a bet the company case, like a, a dog bite case. And that's why they're proposing those ridiculously low hourly rates. And in that scenario, again, go back to the policy language because it's going to talk about reasonable defense costs that the insurance company needs to pay. And if you have a lawyer who charges more, those costs can still be reasonable. And there's case law throughout the country that requires an insurance company to actually step up and pay those higher rates. So there are arguments to try and get the insurance company above the $200 an hour for partners or associates. Great advice there. Now, Eric, we've run through the gauntlet We've got the complaint in, we've got the carrier acknowledging their defense obligation. We worked through the allocation issue. We've worked through the hourly rate issue. But by the way, every one of those steps of the way, the insurer is telling us this whole case is about the uncovered portion of the lawsuit that's been filed against the policyholder. So we are begrudgingly stepping up, defending the case, but we want to be clear as a bell to you. There's not going to be any indemnity coverage here because the only reason we're stepping up is because you've identified a potentially covered claim, but this potentially covered claim is not the driver for what the real relief is that's being sought in the lawsuits that's been filed. So now we're sitting at the mediation and the insurance company has said, oh yeah, I'm not coming. All I'm in for is paying for the cost of my defense lawyer at that 60% rate that we negotiated, like that's it. My work here is done. Is the carrier right in that scenario? Probably not, right? First of all, carriers are going to say that so often, especially when you know they think they're on the hook for just one or two causes of action. So their knee-jerk reaction is you know, the liability exposures for the uncovered claims. So part of this is just an education process and you know, informing or updating the insurance company about why there's potential exposure associated with the potentially covered claims. That's step one. The other thing is having your defense counsel prepare a budget, because if they want to take that position, right, then there's another angle to try and press with the insurance company, which is, well, then, you know, this settlement, you need to view it as a, a cost of defense, because here is the you know amount of money that you're going to have to pay defense counsel to take this case you know, through trial or, or through trial. And that's a reason why you need to step up on the indemnity front. Absolutely. You know, that's the pitch that I make, which is you're going to receive a benefit when the defense meter gets turned off. Yep. So not only is it a good idea, it's a requirement because by settling the case, there will be a cost savings that the insurer gets for the defense obligation they've acknowledged and they clearly have. So there has to be a settlement value assigned to that as well. And Linda, that's the real value of going through every step of this process and doing it early on. So pressing the insurer to acknowledge their defense obligation, negotiating the rates, negotiating the allocation, because 
this scenario at the mediation we just discussed doesn't necessarily happen if the policyholder has let the insurance company sit on the sidelines. So that's the importance of getting the carrier involved in the defense as soon as possible. Yep. So I think that we've made the point, and, and many of our clients know, the defense obligation in a policy is really core to why you buy liability insurance coverage. But I think we've also laid bare that it can be very difficult to actually reap the benefit of that coverage. That's not to say don't try, because we do know the ins and outs of how to get that carrier to step up and pay. But as we always say on Don't Take No for an Answer, the words matter. The jurisdiction and law that's going to be applied to those words matter, as does persistence in getting what you paid for under your policy. So don't take no for an answer. Right, Eric? Exactly. That's why it's the name of our podcast. All right. Well, that's a wrap for today. We look forward to seeing everybody on the next episode. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Please subscribe to our podcast series at lowenstein.com slash podcast, or find us on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Lowenstein Sandler podcast series is presented by Lowenstein Sandler and cannot be copied or rebroadcast without consent. The information provided is intended for a general audience and is not legal advice or a substitute for the advice of counsel. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. The content reflects the personal views and opinions of the participants. No attorney-client relationship is being created by this podcast and all rights are reserved.